G'day mate, how are you this week? It is so good to have you here with me in this week's episode of the Exponential Performance Podcast. We sit down with Katie Schofield and have a talk to her about her time in the New Zealand Sprint track cycling team and how she coped with the ups and downs that elite sports throws at you. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Maddie Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. So I'm about to sit down with Katie Schofield. I first met Katie Schofield back in, I think it was around 2012-ish, in the master's program at the Otago University School of Sports Science and Physical Education. Now, at the time, she was also in the master's program, and we shared an office together. At that time, she was working on cracking into the New Zealand Sprint Track Cycling Program, which she successfully did. She raced with the New Zealand Track Cycling Program through to 2014, when she was dropped. She successfully gained a spot back into the team later that year, and she raced with them all the way through to 2016. Over a time in the New Zealand Sprint Track Cycling Program, she competed in eight World Cups and two World Championships. She was named as an Olympic Reserve for the 2012 Olympics, and then also helped qualify the New Zealand Women's Track Cycling Team a spot for the 2016 Rio Games. Unfortunately, she was dropped from the team in April 2016, never living out her Olympic dream. In this interview, I sit down with Katie and we talk about what it takes to get to that elite level in track cycling and then what it's like to deal with the ups and downs that elite sport throws at people. We also touch on some information around REDS, which stands for Relative Energy Deficit in Sport. So, without further ado, let's jump onto the call with Katie Schofield. Hello. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Mate, so good to talk to you. I know. It's been too long, right? Like way too many years. Maybe just kick us off with a little bit of an introduction about yourself and how you came from your athletic background and how you transitioned into your cycling. Because that's an interesting transition to make in itself. Yeah, so I guess when I was in Dunedin, I was working with Angus Ross, who um, was kind of working with Viking um, Z, which is now Cycling New Zealand at the time, and he's my strength and conditioner for track and field. Um, I guess I was just having recurrent injuries. Uh, my knees particularly didn't really like, I guess, the impact of running and sprinting. 
So he said oh, I should do a peak power test at the university, and so we went went from there basically. And yeah, I guess my my power numbers weren't particularly good, but they weren't also particularly bad. So there was, I guess, kind of an insight that oh, I should give it a crack, and that's kind of how the transition worked. Uh, it was, um, oh, I think I had three three months and I did my first nationals. I think I got sixth in one of my events and from there I just got hooked. Wow, so the numbers in the lab definitely uh, pointed in the right direction for you, obviously a sixth in the nationals after three months. Yeah, yeah, so that was a really good incentive for me to, to keep going and I just really enjoyed the challenge. Do you want to describe a little bit more in detail about track cycling uh, and especially sprint cycling, what you were obviously doing, what does it involve? Because it's, it's not something that a lot of people know much about. Yeah, so uh, I guess one of the main things is you're riding in a velodrome, and it's usually on wood, and most of the tracks these days are 250 metres round. My focus, I guess, over the last four years was being the starter for the team sprint, and for women that is... Uh, two riders and I was the starter so I would go out of the gate while my teammate would follow me. I'd do one lap so short and sharp. I'd, I'd leave the race and then my teammate would continue on to, to finish the race for the second lap. So as a, as a starter for a team sprint what do you focus on for that one lap that you do? Um, so for me I would just break it down into sections so obviously you have the start, so you want to have a very clean, explosive start. Um, I've, I found this, I guess, the transition from track and field to track cycling quite, quite similar in that the start, although for track cycling it's a countdown, so you can anticipate when you're supposed to leave the gate as opposed to track and field it's on reaction form. So you can practice and practice and practice for track cycling with your gate starts and really nail the timing. So that was one key focus. Uh, obviously is you want to drop your partner. <laughs> That's the aim um, for me to go as fast as possible. So that was kind of a good initiative for me to have. And the rest of the race is just trying to get as aerodynamic as you can, so reducing the drag, making sure you're cutting through that air so so fast, uh, and staying as close as I could to the black line, um, so that you're travelling the least distance, which hopefully contributes to a faster time. And so for that for that for your lap, how long are we talking from when you start your part of the race to when you finish your part of the race? What's the sort of time we're talking here? So I was looking at doing 19 seconds flat. Um, so my, my goal was to be under that. I didn't quite get there when I was cycling. Um, but the fastest stars in the world are now doing 18.2 seconds. So it's pretty quick. So after your sixth place at the Nationals on your in your first uh, season of track cycling, what was the journey from there until you cr finally cracked into the national team? Yeah, I guess I was still in Dunedin at that time. 
and working with my coach and it was just trying to get faster and like you said, that time just pretty much learning how to ride a bike. It seems silly for me to say that, but it does take time to learn pedaling technique and how you can produce power in in a short amount of space. So yeah, I was just kind of going back to basics with bike handling and just, I guess, learning the different dimensions of the track and how you can use it to your advantage. Obviously, tactics was a big thing to work on. Track and field, you just are competing against yourself, basically, in your own lane. Whereas track cycling, you might have anywhere from one to 20 other riders around you. So... Yeah, there was a lot to learn. And you say just learning how to ride a bike, and you sort of brush that off quite casually, but how fast are we talking? Like a 19-second lap or all your your other events as well, what sort of speeds, what's the top speed that you're hitting? Yeah, so for, I guess, the best speed you would get up to or the highest speed you'd get up to is in a flying 200-metre race, which is part of the match sprinting event, where you do a 200 metre, where you get timed for 200 metres, and that seeds you for who you race in the next round, so it's really important that you go as fast as possible. So for those, I was hitting around 58 k's an hour. The guys are around 70 k's an hour above. Yep, so it's not it's not just riding a bike, it's riding a bike bloody <laughs> yeah. fast. And also, it's not your standard bike, is it? No, no, that's a really good point. So a track bike is very minimalistic. It's got one gear, no brakes. And it's and it's a fixed fixed gear bike as well. So if you stop pedaling, it doesn't mean the pedals are going to stop going around. No, that's right. So you have to remember when you cross the finish line, you can't can't go, oh, yes, I've finished and coast. you got to keep pedaling. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I think it's... It's a big step, I guess, to go from running around a track to then cycling around a you know a track at top speeds like that is a is a huge gain. So the difference in um, you know just learning how to ride a bike to actually learning how to ride a performance bike like that is it's no small feat. I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Oh right. <laughs> oh, you take it as it comes, eh? It's just each day you're learning something different and. Each day you go, oh, I can do that, and or you, or you like for nationals, you see what other people can do, and you, that inspires you to you know push that a little bit harder. So, yeah, I guess you just take it as it comes. So, what would your training look like over this time when you were trying to crack into the New Zealand team? Uh, that time, I guess I was still studying, so I was just working training around that. So I'd have a couple track sessions uh, at Mosgill Velodrome. You do your kind of longer efforts on the road, maybe, on a road bike, and then yeah, you'd stick your short, sharp, these high-intensity key sessions on the track or, or on the erg, so it's more controlled. What would your weekly training volume come in as, on, on average? So in terms of hours? Yeah, 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 in terms yeah, of hours. I guess... Maybe full time. When I was full time cycling within the squad, you're looking twenty to twenty five. But that's probably just physical hours. 
you take into account the recoveries and nutrition meetings or massage, physio, you know, it, it clocks up to being, you know, basically a full-time job. Big time. So you're putting in, let's say, 20, 20 physical hours of work plus, you know, all the extra stuff outside of that to make yourself go faster for 19 seconds. Yeah, seems crazy, doesn't it? And I mean, I think endurance athletes, you know, they love punching out big training weeks and, you know, oh, they love how long and hard it is and how big their events are. But when you're doing all of that training for, you know, a 10-hour race, it's kind of, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But doing all of this training for a 19-second effort, 19-second race, is is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also a crazy thing about that when I'd go and travel overseas as part of the team and I'd go over there to compete in one event and that event was to crack 19 seconds and I might only get one chance at it. So, um, yeah, when you put in that constant, you kind of think, well, what's the point? But you you have your goals and you want to better yourself every day and want to be the best you can be. So that, that's kind of what drove me. I mean, that, that is the point, isn't it? That is the point. It's yeah. it's, it's there and you're just going to, it's just human nature to want to crack it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just that addictiveness when, you know, people who play golf, they have a perfect shot and then they're addicted to doing that again. That might not happen for another 20 swings, but it's it's just that kind of moment when I have the perfect race or do a PB. Yeah, it's just what drives you. And so your time within the New Zealand track cycling team was less than smooth, I guess you could call it, looking mm-hmm. from an outsider's perspective. There were ups and downs. How did you keep yourself motivated and keep pushing through, say, when you would be dropped from the team, back in the team, that sort of yo-yoing effect? Yeah. How did you, how did you keep focused? How did you just keep boxing on and, and, and smashing it? Yeah, so I guess it's with, with any sport you're going to get ups and downs, whether it's through Ill, illness or injury or not selected for a team or you have some sort of trauma. So uh, I think it, it's just where you have been or how close you have been to being your, at your best and you still feel that you've got something left that you can improve on. So when I got dropped in 2014, yeah, I was devastated, but I just just knew I still had something left and I knew I hadn't reached the end. So that's what drove me for the rest of the year. Uh, Whether I was going to get back in the team or not, I just wanted to prove to myself, I guess, that, yeah, I could still go faster and... If I did that, then yeah, I was stoked. If I got back into the team, then that was just extra. And you you, you touched on it about having that, that perfection, about having the perfect race or, or the PB. How, apart from that, if there, if there is anything else, how do you maintain your motivation? Is there any little tricks that you use? Is, do you have a morning ritual? Do you have... Uh, you know, a diary, a reflection diary. Are there anything that you personally use to help keep that laser point focus and, and motivation? 
yeah, it's a good question. I I think it's just me every day. I one I just loved writing and I loved training and I loved well, it was kind of the love hate of putting myself in that box, hurt box, and feeling feeling like I could not do another rep at all. To then the next day going, you know what, that was a really good session, and I know I've improved from that. Obviously, having others around me that I trained with were really motivating and supportive. Um, so having them. Everyday training been, was was really good, and I think it's just coming back to why you love it. And if you're having a bad day, you look at what you have achieved in the past, and that motivates you in another way. I guess internally, in terms of reminds you what's important and kind of your directions. I mean, I'd always write goals every month, every year, kind of at, and at the end of every season for the next season. Just always, I guess, moving the goalposts. To, um, yeah, I guess you just want to keep pushing yourself, whether that's on the track or in the gym or outside of, outside of cycling. Mm, yeah, for sure. I mean... It's that never-ending search, isn't it, for that little bit extra? Yeah, you're always wanting to find, you know, what's going to make you faster. And it, it might not even be a physical thing. It might, like for me, it was I need to work on my sleep and recovery routines because that's just going to help me for the next day. Mm, just falling in love with that process, isn't it? Yeah, and, and that's the thing that I think one of the biggest things that I learned throughout my cycling was, yeah, you can have your goals as outcome-based goals, so winning medals or getting certain places, but to get to that point, you've got to have the hows, how to get there, so, you know, hows, what have you, you do that day, how's that going to help you get to that goal, so we did a lot of work with process goals, especially when it came to um, big training blocks or racing. I'd have certain process goals that I'd be focused on and that would help calm my nerves as well just because I knew I was capable of completing those goals and if I completed them, then you're most likely come to come out with a good outcome. Awesome. Actually, that was going to be my next question is dealing dealing with the nerves in competition because you're obviously you know racing um on the world stage and there's a lot of pressure around or perceived pressure uh and yeah how did you how did you deal with that you know on the start line sitting there huge crowd around you what was going through your head and how did you I don't know, block everything out and execute at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good point. Um, I guess it was probably more perceived pressure on my half, my behalf. I put a lot of pressure on myself, and I think that can work in your favour or not. Um, my biggest things was just working on what were my 
main objectives for my race and usually it would be something to do with the start, so either being explosive, um, being aerodynamic down the back straight uh, and then the last kind of kick out of the last corner, I'd try pretend that I was almost cycling or like running on hot coals to try to keep my cadence up. So it'd be things like that. I mean, I won't lie, I'd be incredibly nervous. So any type of racing, nationals, club events, even world champs, incredibly nervous, but it's accepting the nerves that you know they're going to be there and I, I didn't mind the nerves. I think they helped me and I liked having them there. Um, it's just making sure that you're, you're calm, calm on the day. I was one to be very quiet come race day. I didn't like being, I guess, like show pony or out there. And um, Yeah, I was very, I guess, kind of quite reserved come race day. Just internally processing how scared I was, I guess. And I mean, that's that's interesting. That you said that you know you liked having the nerves there, and that when you realise what nerves or that feeling of nervousness and you know butterflies in the tummy, there's that's adrenaline cursing through your veins, and you know that's that's going to make you better at sport. You know your heart rate comes up because your sympathetic nervous system's firing and. And, you know, that's going to improve your performance. So once you're able to understand that, I think, you know, a lot of people obviously get nerves before a race is that it's your body's way of saying we're ready to go. It's just how you interpret those, like you like you mentioned before. Yeah, and I think it's also that it just showcases that you care about what you're doing and um, it's important to you and, and I think that's it's a good thing to come through is, is you've you've placed some sort of importance and thought in in how you're gonna go and I think it's useful that you just use that. Oh one hundred percent. So after a long list of um, world championships, World Cup um, events with the New Zealand track cycling team and was it May 2016, correct me if I'm wrong, um, you got dropped from the team or decided to retire. Talk us through that process of such a long road to get there and you know putting so much into it to then have this outcome. What was that like uh, and, and how did you deal with it? Yeah, um, I guess getting back into the team 2015 was kind of the icing on the cake for me after coming out and then coming back in. Um, and throughout the year, it was just, I get, my focus was then on Rio Olympics. Um, it, it was funny because I, I told myself 2014, if I, if I didn't make Com Games, then I was going to stop. But obviously that didn't happen, so I was striving for for Rio. Um, yeah, I, to be fair, I, I guess and it, sport is tough, and that if you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And I think that was a pretty big blow for me at the time when I wasn't picked for the team. That you know, I I had done all I could with 
with the years that I trained for and hey I, I think I left on a a good space physically um, and I was in real good shape but just I wasn't the person that they wanted to take and that's that's totally fine I'm, I'm at peace with that now and uh, yeah it was extremely hard you know I was, I was striving for that for so long and it was just in my grasp and you know it was just there dangling in front of me and um, to not I guess not fulfill that goal and that dream of mine yeah it still hurts a little bit but yeah I guess you move on and you deal with that and retiring I think was a good decision for me um, I felt I had put everything I could into it and that was probably the fastest I was going to get and yeah I think it was just a realization that okay maybe it's time to call call it quits well where I'm at I'm, I was in good form did the best I could so yeah I guess it's how, how it's ended mm. up was and correct me if I'm wrong but you uh, secured a Rio spot for the team is that right with your performances yeah, yeah. So and then didn't get to go yourself. <laughs> yeah, um, is that's so brutal, is it not? Ah, uh, it's brutal, but it, that's sport, you know. Um, we were a team, and I, yeah, I was fortunate enough to go and do all the qualifying events for the two years leading up to Rio. I think out of the nine events, I did eight of them. So, um, yeah, I mean. I haven't really thought about it like that, so. Sorry uh, for bringing it up then. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. It's fine. Yeah, as I said, it's just sport yeah. and, you know, it's happened. And that's what I was going for. I was, I was striving to get in that team. Okay, it didn't happen, but, yeah, I can't I can't be disappointed for, for what I've done up till then. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So close, eh? So close. And... Definitely, I think the the thing that stood out to me with your cycling journey and being someone that was kind of there at the startish as uh, office mates, and then also um, on the side of the track as well when I was was working, and then from a from a distance as a as a um, follower of yours as well was just how much of yourself you put into it. People always talk about ticking all the boxes. They want to, you know, be happy that they ticked all the boxes, that they worked as hard as they could, and at the end of the day, they'll have no regrets. And you don't often actually see that when you dig into, you know, what people have actually done. But for your, for you, at least from my perspective, it was honestly one of those moments where you're like, well, she's, you can't really fault her for anything that she's done. She's always been there a hundred percent. She's made all the sacrifices. It's like she did actually give this a hundred and ten percent. Oh, thanks. Which Eddie. I think's phenomenal. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what to say to that. Um, you don't have to say anything. It's just a, strictly an observation that you you seriously did give it everything. Yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. It's when you're really passionate about something and you want something 
bad, you know, you'll do whatever you can to to try and at least give you an opportunity to, to achieve that goal. So, yeah, I guess I was a little bit anal about a few things and making sure I had everything written down in my diary, which probably got a bit of a flack for with my teammates, but, you know, um, it's part of my process, I guess, and just making sure that, yeah, you are doing everything, everything that you can. Um, yeah, you, you have slip-ups now and then, but, yeah, it's all part of the journey and part of learning and figuring out who you are and what makes you tick, I guess. A hundred percent, a one hundred percent. So you you have a website. It is katieschofield.co.nz and you have got a fantastic blog on there that covers your cycling but also just stuff in general which is fantastic to read and one post I wanted to talk about because it it's about something that affects a lot of people and it, it is today the best post I've ever read on this in terms of in terms of honestly physiological and un- actually understanding of of it and then also um, the, a personal reflection on it and I think if uh, people could direct themselves over to there and have a read it would it would help a lot of people so it's your blog about reds um, and it's called raw and real so I'll stop talking can you uh, describe well explain a little bit about reds and your experience with it yeah sure so I guess red stands for relative energy deficiency in sport um, a big name for basically when you are not having enough dietary intake, so not having enough food for the amount of exercise that that you're doing and your body kind of goes into a shutdown mode where it conserves the energy for some of the pretty vital physiological functions, so like hormones um, is one example of that, your reproductive hormones to conserve energy so that it can um, function just day to day. So 2014 I got diagnosed with reds um, and that was possibly part of the reason why I got dropped from the team just because my performances were going down instead of up. So um, yeah, that's it wasn't really till I got dropped from the team that I looked back at kind of how I was tracking with my performances and then going, hey, I should have been more onto this and I should have clicked earlier, but obviously when, yeah, you're looking good, you're looking lean, you're looking fast, you know, other stuff kind of, you know, gets blown over. So some of my symptoms that I had with threads was I was amenorrheic, so I didn't get my period for, I didn't have it for about eight months before I was diagnosed, which um, is actually quite dangerous. Um, There is a bit of a myth in the sporting world that if you don't get your period, then that's normal for athletics population, but actually it's not normal. It means that your body is not functioning appropriately. 
So I would fully recommend you see a doctor if you're in that, that position. Um, other I guess, symptoms was I had really bad gut pains. Um, I just thought it was because I was training hard, but that is a symptom of reds. And other things was I was having really bad night sweats, I was thirsty all the time, I wasn't sleeping, I couldn't concentrate. I remember I'd go to the supermarket and this spend a good five minutes figuring out what type of canned tuna I'd want. You know, it's just stuff like that. <laughs> just pathetic, really. Um, but, you know, my iron was fine. I wasn't anemic or anything. So when I got blood tests done from the doctor, everything looked fine. But it wasn't until we actually looked further into my reproductive hormones that we noticed I was, had really low estrogen. Um, and so that was a telltale sign that possibly I wasn't eating enough. And uh, I look back at it now and I see a few photos and yeah, I am quite lean. And that was more of a case of me competing with myself of, of how lean I could get. Because in our sport of track cycling, it's all about powder weight. So if you are... I guess carrying less of the fat mass used essentially should improve your performance. So I kind, I wouldn't say kind of, I would say I did get fixated on seeing how lean I could get. And yeah, it, I kind of paid the price for it in the long run. And as an aside, it's not just females that this affects, is it? No, no. So that's what's coming out in the literature lately is that males can be effective affected um, just as much as females. Obviously the sign of reds isn't as I guess clear with male population because they don't have a menstrual cycle but you can also test it with your blood hormones and one good marker is testosterone so if that is low or I guess lower than what is normal then that is one of the signs that they are in a red state um, but the thing is it's so difficult because it is on such a spectrum mm. um, of severity so I mean I've had some women that have come to me and they've been in a similar state but they might not have any gut issues or you know they might just have lost their period and nothing else and they might be on kind of the they're not as severe um, mm -hmm. So it is a, quite a hard one to gauge and a difficult one to, I guess, diagnose until you are, I guess, you have more symptoms and things aren't going that well. So that's a tricky one to just kind of pinpoint straight away. Big time, big time. And I would suggest that I'll put a link in the show notes over to Katie's blog about REDS and I would highly recommend that everybody heads over and has a read of that um, just so that like I say it's a fantastic article there's drawings because you are a fantastic artist as well and you've done all the the uh, illustrations for this as well and there's excellent pictures that walks you through pretty much everything so we'll stop talking about it people can head there if they want to know more and I guess this segues nicely into what are you doing now Life after cycling. Life after cycling, yeah, it's 
I guess if you asked me a year ago if I'd be doing what I was doing now, I'd, I don't know. I'd probably laugh at you. But um, I guess I've always had the, in the back of my mind to do more research and I love answering questions and the human body fascinates me. So, yeah, I decided to embark on a PhD this year and it coincides pretty much with my experiments. Uh, experiences with threads and so that's my topic for my PhD and I'm really interested in looking at this concept of low energy availability so when um, you don't have enough energy for normal body functions and especially in athletes um, I want to know kind of the effects that happen within the body and I'm really interested in looking at um, a good male population as well as a female population because males are so uh, under he's under uh, researched in this area but another side that I'm really interested in is in the psychological aspect of it because it does play a big role uh, so if I could combine those two together, that would be amazing. So I'm just working kind of in the planning stages at this stage. Um, yeah, I only started enrolled in this year. So, yeah, mm -hmm. 2020 should yeah, be a so goal. Yeah. Nice. Back to that goal setting. <laughs> yeah. So this, I mean, this sounds like, you know, research that's real world applicable and actually helpful because what frustrates me so much with you know academic you know the academic system is so much research gets done that is not any disrespect to people doing the research it's just useless it has minimal application it never gets read uh you know and that's the end of it whereas i love research like this that answers real world questions and actually helps people at the end of the day in a real helpful way yeah, I'm really, I'm hoping so, because it's not going to be just on elite athletes. I'm hoping this will expand into the generalised exercise population. And I, from my, I guess, the little reading that I've done so far, that it, this, I guess, syndrome or condition is becoming more apparent in just the general population. Uh, we we've got a lot of I guess advice to exercise and eat well and that and um, I guess that can be for some individuals taken too far um, mm. so yeah hopefully it does um, that's exciting yeah we'll watch this space if anyone has any questions on reds please post them in the comment uh, section below send me an email send me a message and if we get enough of them with enough interest, we can get Katie back on to do some more specific talking around this area. Um, if not in the immediate future, once uh, you know she's amassed a little more information and added to the information pool herself, which would be really, really cool. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Happy to come back and answer any questions. As I mentioned before, Katie's not only an athlete, an elite athlete, uh extremely high level academic but also a fantastic artist as well get over and check out her website 
katieschofield.co.nz. There'll be a link in the show notes if anybody wants to check that out. And go and have a look at her art over there. There's some awesome stuff there. I love the cycling stuff. So if you're a cycling fan, there are some really cool cycling uh, art pieces. I don't really know the art lingo. Cool pictures of, of cycling stuff. Uh, and no doubt, if you've got something specific in mind, I'm sure Katie would be able to add it to her schedule to do you a contract piece. Yeah, custom. Yeah, open to anything, really. I need to, um, I need to get back on using my pens more. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, and I hope that, you know, your words of wisdom will, you know, help people out there. Hopefully. Thank you so much for, for having me and, yeah, happy to answer any questions that come on board. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, there it is. I hope you enjoyed that interview with former elite track cyclist Katie Schofield and some talk about her time in the elite track cycling scene and what it takes for you to push yourself to those limits. If you have any questions about Reds uh, or any other questions for Katie in general, please send them through to me and we will do our best to answer them. Until next time, get out there, train hard, but most importantly, train smart. I'll talk to you next week.